Father, we thank you for this scripture reading today, which is familiar. We thank you that we've been able to follow the story right through from the shepherds in the hillsides, the journey of Mary and Joseph, the census being called, all those things that lead us to this point. And we pray that today we would again hear your word to us in 2022, that we might know where you call us and how you call us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is another familiar reading where it's so easy to miss the nuances because we've heard it so many times before. But this year, bringing the reading from Isaiah into the mix has challenged me to think a bit more about the gifts. Perhaps like us, you have received some really unexpected gifts this year. Some of them were very generous. Some were a bit unusual. We had a bag yesterday, a gift, one gift was received yesterday, and it was a bag of salt with truffle in it. I haven't quite worked out what I'm supposed to do with it. I think you're supposed to, it's supposed to taste extra nice when you sprinkle it on stuff. But it's a bit unusual, isn't it? Some of the things that we received will tax our brains and others will make us creative. All of them, however, apart from one that Andy asked for, a set of screwdrivers, don't ask me why, um, a set of screwdrivers were unexpected in some way or another. And I imagine that when the Magi rocked up at Mary and Joseph's front door, the gifts they brought were pretty unexpected too. In this contemporary painting called The Holy Men by a lady with the lovely name of Liz Lemon Swindle, which I just think is really nice, the wise men are clearly visiting a child about age two probably in a home, not an infant in a manger. And in this sermon, we could quite easily have spent a lot of time wondering how to reconcile Luke and Matthew's accounts of the whole tale. But like I said, Isaiah got me thinking about gifts. You will probably, like me, have often heard preachers talk of the significance of the gifts in relation to Jesus' identity and his future. Gold, a gift for royalty, a king with a kingdom, Frankincense, a gift for deity, a recognition of his divinity. And finally, myrrh, a spice used to anoint bodies in preparation for their burial, pointing towards his death for us all. These were the very best kind of gifts that people in ancient times could have brought for kings or gods. And they were clearly carefully chosen by those magi as gifts for the future king of the Jews. So why did Isaiah make me think about the gifts. Some are brought in verse six. It says this, and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense. But Sheba is a long way from Jerusalem in the Arabian desert, in modern day Yemen, actually. So why would people be coming to Jerusalem from there? A, it's a long way on foot, which of course is how they would have been, um, and B, it's just, it just doesn't work. That's just not a place they would naturally go. Well, Isaiah was prophesying at a time when Jerusalem was in a dark place. It's still reeling from the exile and the devastating state in which the Babylonians had left it. Most of the descendants of its inhabitants at that time seem not to have returned to Jerusalem. And in fact, the darkness covering it seems to be everywhere. 
pretty miserable for everyone, it would seem. But Isaiah brings a word of hope, a word of promise fulfilled, an image of God's saving presence into the world. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. Verse 1 in our reading. God is breaking into the suffering and the bondage of his people. Think back to, for a moment to the reading we have in Isaiah, um, in our carol service from Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Our reading is a proclamation of God fulfilling his promise. Isaiah is trying to renew the hope of his wavering community in dark times. They are to lift their hopes to the promised restoration of their relationship with God, who would come and dwell with them once more, having been absent for so long, apparently. His light would guide them to a life full of integrity and wholeness once more. So much so that peoples would return from their exile, bringing with them the gifts needed for them to be able to praise and worship God again in the temple. This is all about the restoration of, his, of the relationship between God and his people. Not just their particular welfare, but actually the welfare of all people in the long term. That broken relationship with God is to be restored. Our world is fairly dark right now, isn't it? Covid and its variants continue to run amok through the nations of the world with all the consequences that we're all still trying to learn to live with. Mental health and well-being are being stretched at every level as societies are coming to terms with abuse and violence, addictions, power, poverty and injustice, hardships of all kinds. So what about these gifts? Their significance then, it seems to me, speaks into our dark times right now, as we, the people of God, Consider how those gifts brought by the Magi teach us to bring and use our gifts today to the one who is our Lord and Saviour. Do you know, I think we could be forgiven, perhaps, for thinking sometimes that God has forgotten about his people, all of us, not just the Jews. Maybe he's even lost control of the world. Why has Jesus still not returned? Can things get any messier than they are right now? Well, I think these three gifts help us to remember that no matter what happens, actually, God is in control and that he is carefully watching over us, even if we don't feel that he is. So this first gift, this gift of gold, a piece of raw nugget of gold here, the gift for kings... The ancient idea of kingship is kind of pivotal here, it seems to me. The king was supposed to be the representative figure, ensuring the protection of his people, military threats from outside and injustices within the kingdom. Of course, we know that throughout human history, human beings have made a right mess of this. Think back to all the stories and history that you learnt about kings and queens of England, never mind any other place. But when Jesus spoke of God's kingship, of his kingdom, he had confidence in God as protector and judge, the ultimate authority and power who would and did and does ensure peace and justice for all people. 
In his life, Jesus showed us how to live every day with such a king. As he talks about the impossibility of serving two masters, we find that in Matthew 6.24 and Luke 6.13. He says it's impossible to serve two. You can only serve one. Our king is the one whose name we want to honour so that his kingdom may come and his will be done. What do we say? Our Father in heaven. Jesus, as part of the Godhead, came to teach us exactly how to do this, to live in his kingdom, to understand God's holiness and to reflect it to the world so that the world might know it too. This is our everyday discipleship, showing us the way to live as we follow Jesus and his teaching. So the next gift is frankincense, the gift for God's. Oh, I just have to tell you this. I saw a cartoon this morning which just made me smile. So there's a picture of the three kings and a camel. Two of the kings are holding two gifts and one has got somebody standing by his side. And the, king, the one king says, well, we brought the gold and the myrrh. What's that you've brought? And the picture is a picture of Frankenstein. <laughs> it just tickled me. I thought it was really funny. Um, however, frankincense is a gift for the gods. It's an aromatic resin. It's used in incense and perfumes, and it's obtained from the trees of the genus Boswellia in the order Sapindales. I looked it up to see exactly what it was. You get it by tapping the tree. You know how you tap, you've seen, you will have seen pictures of tapping rubber from trees. Well, it's the same process. Um, and then you allow the collected sap to harden to this kind of resin, which can then be burnt and release the perfume. Now, these particular trees grow in lots of places around the Horn of Africa and in India and in many areas of Arabia. So they would have been in that area of the Arabian desert we looked at earlier. Some of them, of course, produce better resins than others. The quality of your Boswellia tree is important. But burning incense at the altar was a key part of the sacrificial system that God prescribed for use in the tabernacle and later in the temple itself. According to Exodus 30, however, not just any incense would do. A specific recipe of spices mixed with pure frankincense in Exodus 30, 34 was to be considered, verse 35, as pure and sacred. And it was the only incense permitted at the altar. Do you know, bringing this gift to the child Jesus affirms to us that he's not going to be any ordinary man. As Paul writes in Colossians 2, in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So when we come to Jesus, we come to God too. We don't have to look elsewhere. And for me, this speaks into prayer, our prayer life. When we pray, we don't offer words and thoughts and feelings into an empty void. We offer them to a real person who lived on earth and has known life in all its mess and glory. So when we can't find the words, perhaps only groans, Jesus knows exactly what we really mean because he's experienced this thing too. Think back to his time in the garden at Gethsemane where it tells us in Luke 22:44, he prayed so hard his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And this brings me to the final gift, myrrh, 
a gift for burial. What a cheery present for a tiny baby or even a toddler. I wonder what Mary and Joseph thought as they received it. Now, of course, this is one of those occasions where we look back knowing how the story looks further on. But, of course, Mary and Joseph wouldn't have known that at that time. They would have just seen this spice used at the time of death in the embalming process. What would that have felt like, do you think? We know that Nicodemus brought myrrh and aloes when he helped Joseph of Arimathea to put Jesus' body in the tomb, John 19. So why this gift? Well, it speaks to us, doesn't it, of Jesus' humanity. He is going to die and he's going to need to be buried. And yet if he is God? Well, sitting this side of the story, we know that he rises again for our fallen humanity to be saved. But again, there's a link to the temple too. Exodus 30 also tells us that liquid myrrh was a main ingredient in the anointing oil used to ceremonially prepare the priests, the instruments to be used, the altar, and the very temple itself before any sacrifice could be made. Surely here the parallel to Jesus' consecrated life and sacrificial death are immediately obvious. And that sacrifice was made for you and for me. And that's mind-blowing, isn't it? So I wonder what difference reflecting on these gifts now makes to you in this moment. For me, as I've reflected on it once more, I'm struck that every day I can live as one who knows who she follows, trusts and worships, or not. I can live as one who knows that the kingdom of God is near, that my prayers are heard and answered as is best for me. And all of that is because Jesus died on the cross for me. I can be back in relationship with God. But will I live like that? Will I live like someone who knows all of that, not just here in my head, but actually deep in my heart? This speaks to me about trust. My trust in God. Do I? Will I? Can I trust him just with everything? What about you? Maybe that's a question for you too today. Do you know the Magi trusted their instincts when they saw the sign in the sky and they knew they had to go on a journey? They trusted God again when he warned them that they needed to go home by a different route. Trusting God, it seems to me, means being open to him directing your life in just the way he directed the Magi. I'd love to ask them whether they found it easy. I'm not sure what answer they would give. Scripture is very clear what they did. But how much might they have procrastinated? 
How much might they have argued with one another? Just about the route they might take, never mind should they even take the route. Trusting God means being open to him in all areas of our life. And for us in 2022, that is just the same as it was way back in whatever year they actually went to see him. I hope that, like me, you are up to trying to do it for 2022, to trust God and see where he will lead us as individuals and as his people together here in the Good Shepherd Church. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you received gifts that teach us to trust you today. Help us to do this so much better than maybe we've ever done it before, to know where you are leading and to follow the route and to be prepared to divert when you lead us off into different places, to be prepared to encourage each other on the journey and to strengthen each other for all that might lie ahead. We ask this in your precious name. Amen.